Love God, love people. That's the simple purpose of why we're here. I want to I want to challenge you about something. I want to you know challenge you to be here for a series that's going about to happen two weeks from now, September twelfth. We'll begin a three week series, which is fundamental and which is basic and which is essential to the life of our church. It, it's going to be everything about what our purposes are. It's going to remind us once again of what the vision God has for us. But it's going to also be the vision that God has for us is not about this church. Church is people. It's about what God wants you to do and what he wants me to do as believers in Christ. And so we'll be looking at that. So mark those dates, September 12th, 19, and what would be the following Sunday, the 26th, something like that. Those are the three Sundays that uh, I challenge you to be here. And I invite everyone you know to be here because we're going to be talking about what God's purpose is for us uh, as believers and as a church, and we're going to be looking at some very basic things, which is going to be a launching pad for a whole year's worth of focusing upon God's purposes for us as well. Today we end a, a summer of looking at a series of stories that God told us uh, through His Son, Jesus Christ, called Parables. Uh, we didn't look at all the parables, of course, because uh, we couldn't. there was not enough summer, uh, not enough weeks, but we did look about uh, 12 to 14 of the parables this summer. And so I want to end today talking about something that has become more and more and more and more and more important in my own life. And I think it's really a key to what God wants us to know, what God wants us to do in our lives as well. So this morning, if you have your Bible with you, and I encourage you each week to bring a Bible with you. If you don't have one, let us know. We'll give you one. Uh, you want to take one of the ones that's back on the table back there, you're more than welcome to do that as well if you don't have a Bible. But uh, bring your Bible with you so that you can read and look at the Scripture in the context of where it's at, because context means a lot of things many times. Uh, it's not just a piece of uh, Scripture taken out of a context, uh, because we do have it in the outline, yes. Uh, we do have it on the screen, yes. But uh, looking at that in your own Bible, being able to mark and to talk, and you can actually mark in your Bible, it's all right. I give you permission. My Bible is totally marked up. Um, as you study it, uh, look at it and read it, and so we'll be looking at it. So today, let's look at Luke chapter 11, beginning with verse 5. We'll be talking about uh, a parable that Jesus told that's very par- uh, powerful. It's, it's told in a context, the context there, if you look at it, in Luke chapter, uh, chapter 11, the first part of the, uh, is Jesus' teaching on prayer, where he teaches us the, uh, the Lord's Prayer. And then following that, then he tells the story. And we're going to read it, and then I want to go back and talk about it for a few moments today. Luke chapter 11, beginning with verse 5, says, Then, teaching them more about prayer, he used this story. Suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight, wanting to borrow three loaves of bread. And you said to him, A friend of mine has just arrived for a visit, and I have nothing for him to eat. And suppose he calls out from his bedroom, Don't bother me. The door is locked for the night, and my family and I are all in bed. I can't help you. But I tell you this, though he won't do it for friendship's sake, if you keep knocking long enough, he will get up and give you whatever you need because of your shameless persistence. And so I tell you, keep on asking, and you will receive what you ask. Keep on seeking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds, and to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. One of the things that he talks about here is this whole thing of prayer. You know, in Isaiah chapter 56, verse 7, it says this, My house shall be called a house of prayer. 
That's what God says about his house. It's the place where the believers gather together. It should be called a house of prayer, not a house of busyness, not a house of clever gimmicks, not a house of activities. It's going to be a house of prayer. Matter of fact, over at Acts chapter 1, we see in the early church in verse 14, we see this, that not, after, not long after Jesus had ascended, his followers gathered together in a place called the upper room. And when they gathered there in the upper room, guess what they did? It says they devoted themselves to prayer. And then a little bit later over in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, the early church, as they began to focus their attention upon the things that God wanted them to focus upon, it says that they devoted themselves to several things. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, uh, to, to uh, fellowship, breaking of bread. And guess what the climax was? They devoted themselves to prayer. And the very next line after that, it says what? They were filled with awe. And I didn't say about, you know, in Acts chapter 1, after they pray, devoted themselves to prayer, Pentecost came and the church exploded. You think there's any connection there at all? You see, you will never find a church anywhere uh, where the people devote themselves in a regular, consistent, humble, honest way to prayer and the church later regrets it. No one regrets praying. A church cannot be torn by dissension or, or, or gossip or have a cold heart toward unbelievers if it's devoted to prayer. You will never find a sincere Christ follower who says at the end of his life or her life, well, I wish I hadn't prayed so much. I've never heard anybody say that at bedsides over the years. I've never heard anybody say that. Because prayer is where we encounter the living God and when he says, God says in Isaiah 56, 7, my house shall be called a house of prayer, I believe that is one of the things that God is calling us to as, 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 the, as a church and as believers. It's not like we've not prayed, but I'm not sure we've not prayed enough. Because what it says here in this passage, and when Jesus is telling his disciples how to pray, and then he turns around and he tells them this story, what he's trying to do, he wants them to understand clearly the importance of prayer and the importance of continually praying, and why do we need to do that in our lives to connect with God? I mean, how many of us, let's just be honest this morning, this is time to be honest, okay? This is church. This is not time to put on a facade. This is time to be honest, okay? How many of you have ever felt guilty about not praying enough? Okay. If, if you didn't raise your hand, let me, let me give you a book to read. This week, and I'm going to tell you, I, I recommend this book. This is, this is something I don't do very often, but I recommend if I could make this required reading for every one of you in the next few weeks, this would be required reading because it deals with everything we're going to be dealing with about loving God, loving people. There's a book that came out, I guess, a couple of years ago. I had never read it. My wife gave it to me about two months ago. She said, you've got to read this. She had read it. I went by there. She was weeping when she was reading this book. And I'm going like, what? That's just a woman. You know, and uh, <laughs> then my father-in-law came, uh, came and my, 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 my in-laws came to the house. And they were there for a couple of weeks. And while he was there, my wife gave him the book to read. And he read it. And he was sitting around crying. And I'm just telling you something about the book. And so, I, and I read the, and she said, it's an awesome book. And so I read the first 10 chapters and it was kind of, it was all right. First 10 chapters, it's nice. It's a true story, by the way. I'll tell you about it in a minute. But on Wednesday of this week, I decided I was going to, I was going to pick the book up finally and read it. I read, it's only 230 pages, not very long. It's really easy to read uh, as far as words. Um, emotionally, it's a different story. 
I read the first half of the book that night and on, 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 thir- on Wednesday night, and I'd already planned on Thursday to have a study day. Once in a while, I get away from the office, and I sit, and I read, and I read Scripture, and I read books, and I read stuff to prepare for another series or whatever, and that was my plan. Well, what happened Wednesday night, though, is I read the book, and I was so emotionally wiped out when I finished reading that part, I, couldn't st- I-, I had to put it down. And so on Thursday morning, I get up and I go out and I did something I'd done in a while. I need some exercise. <laughs> and I went out and played tennis with a friend of the church and got just brutally beaten. And, uh, and, uh, and then when I finished, I, I, I took a shower, shower and about 9 o'clock that morning or 9.30 that morning, I went up on, uh, on uh, Grandview Drive on one of those benches. You know, that's what I'm talking about up there. Beautiful place. Sat there and I read the rest of the book. And people probably thought I was the weirdest guy up there because here's this guy sitting up there on a bench reading a book and crying, sobbing uncontrollably. And the reason I was doing it was because it was the perfect picture of loving God. It was the perfect picture. And, and, and in there, one of the things it talked about was, was, was about this guy and his, and his prayer life. And the book's called Same Kind of Different as Me. Same kind of different as me. Now, I know that doesn't make a lot of sense grammatically, but you'll understand when you read the book. True story. About a homeless black guy and a wealthy white guy that forge a friendship in the strangest place in life. And how the white guy learns a lot from the homeless black guy. When I read that book, I was so wiped out emotionally that I couldn't. I, I mean, Thursday night I got home, I said, honey, I got to go to bed. She's going, what are you? I read the book. She said, I understand. <laughs> but I tell you this because in the book, one of the things that came out to me, I was so ashamed when I read it about this, this black guy and about his love for God. And, his, and it wasn't like he grew up in this great environment. He grew up in a terrible environment, the worst environment possibly. He had every reason to be angry at God. But he developed his friendship with God, and in a real sense, he developed his friendship by spending time with God and praying without ceasing for people. And most people didn't even know about it. I mean, how many of you spend up, stay up all night sitting by a dumpster outside of a mission house praying for a friend who's sick for a month, every night, all night? So, uh, you know, it says, yeah. Yeah, pray without ceasing. I want to challenge you as a church. I want to challenge me. I want to challenge us that we become a church of prayer. That in our small groups, that prayer becomes so such a central part of our groups that we do not, it's something we don't leave out. We just don't put it as an add-on. Because Jesus, in telling this story, this little parable, he's saying something to us about the importance of prayer and the importance of praying without ceasing. Because we, we sometimes don't pray because we have so many misguided ideas about prayer. We think that sometimes that we have, oh, I can't pray about my job or about my house. That would be too selfish. Or I can't pray because my motives are divided, because they're not pure. I, you know, I can't pray. I have to pray spiritual prayers. I have the right prayer language. You know, like people go like, why do people sometimes pray in King James English? I don't get it. You know what I'm talking about? Those of you who grew up in church, you know, you read King James Bible and you have to pray that way. These and thou's and don'ts. And, and we just learn to lean to... Jesus is saying that's not what we need to do. Jesus wants, to understand, wants us to understand prayer. So he gives us, gives us this story, this little story, this little story that says so much. He, because he desperately wanted us to understand the power of prayer. And so he tells this story about a cranky neighbor 
Uh, and, and this cranky, did you ever have a cranky neighbor? I lived in Virginia uh, before I, well, you know, I lived in Virginia. Before I moved here, I lived in Virginia. We'd, three years before we moved here, we found a, this perfect piece of land in this neighborhood. I bought an acre lot. We built a house, our dream house and everything. I told you the story before if you've been around more than five weeks. And uh, <clears throat> I didn't tell you the story, though, about my neighbors. We had, neighbor, we had a neighbor on one side of us and a neighbor two houses up, and they were totally the opposites. The person on the one side, on the right-hand side of us, let me, you know, yeah, the right-hand side of us, uh, the right-hand side neighbor, when I built this piece of property, these, these are places, these guy, guy had four acres on one side, three acres on the other, two acres over here. I had a little lot, the acre, you know. And so when we, we go in and we buy the lot and we're cleaning up the lot, the guy on the right-hand side was the cranky neighbor. He was such a wonderful neighbor, he decided as soon as we got there, he put up a barbed wire fence between us. And he basically said to us, if you ever let a tree fall on my property, I'm going to sue you. Wasn't that a night, Grace? Welcome to the neighborhood. Cranky neighbor. Now, on the other side, two houses up was a guy named Malcolm. I didn't tell you the other guy's name. A guy named Malcolm. Malcolm was the perfect neighbor. Malcolm had every tool ever known to man. He had every farm implement ever known to man. And he let me borrow everything he had. Not only borrow, but he would come up and do it for me. Malcolm, a guy who at the time was almost 80 years old, would drive down on his tractor, man. He was up there pulling out trees and pulling trash and doing stuff for me. I, I wouldn't even be there and he'd be out there doing stuff. We were building a house, and so, you know, we had those two types of neighbors. You had those kind of neighbors, you know, sometimes the cranky neighbor and the other. Well, this is about the cranky neighbor. That's what this story is about. I don't know if they're quite as cranky as my neighbor in this story, but it's kind of that way. And, and in Jesus' day, hospitality, we have to understand hospitality was a much higher value than it is now because literally giving and receiving hospitality was essential for survival. People didn't have Taco Bells and McDonald's, you know, when you're out on a trip, and if you're starving, what do you do? You stop at somebody's house and ask them for something to eat? No! You stop at some place that's open 24 hours, and you grab you something to eat, and you go on down the road. And that day, they didn't have any place like that. So hospitality was part of survival in that day. And the hour of the day was irrelevant because people had to travel and didn't didn't know how long it was going to take. And so people, even at midnight, the host was to provide a meal whether or not he wanted to because that was just a part of survival in the culture. Do you understand that? Different mindset. And so when you understand the story a little bit more, you understand that that's part of the culture. It was normal for people to be traveling it's 11 o'clock at night or midnight or middle of the night, come into somewhere, and they come to some friend's house, and, and they show up. I mean, maybe your relatives do that. I don't know. And they show up, and, 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 you know, and, but they're, and they're hungry because they've been traveling. They had anything to eat, and they've been doing this. And so that's the kind of the context. And so in verse 6, it, let's go back to that. It says this in verse 6, A friend of mine has just arrived for a visit, and I have nothing for him to eat. Now, does that mean he literally has nothing for him to eat? You know, you ever said this, you ever heard, heard this phrase? I don't, you never said it, but have you ever heard this phrase, I have nothing to wear? Don't look at the person next to you. Does that really mean that you have absolutely nothing to wear? That, I mean, if you had to go somewhere, the only way you could go would be clothing optional? Is that the way it is? I mean, is that when you say those words, is that what you mean? No, you means I don't have anything I really want to wear or anything that would make me look like, you know, I'm really cool or whatever the word is nowadays. I don't know. I don't care anymore about being cool. I, I learned when you, that's how you know if you're old. 
you don't worry about being cool anymore. It, it's called maturity. Okay. <clears throat> but anyway, he says, I have nothing to eat. And basically, uh, so, so the, guy, the, the guy says to him, okay, how about give me some, you know, three loaves of bread? Now, you know, we're going like, okay, that's like a meal, right? No, no, no. In that day, bread was like giving you a fork and a spoon. Because in that culture, they didn't have forks and spoons, and so to eat the bread was that which they tore into pieces and dipped into the real food and ate it with. It was like giving, so he's saying, give me the essentials just to kind of get me through. And he's saying, that's, he's saying imagine that to happen. Jesus says, imagine that happens. In verse 7, he says, suppose he calls out from his bedroom. Don't bother me. The door is locked for the night, and my family and I are all in bed. I can't help you. Now, Jesus, when he told this story, everybody was going, that'll never happen. Not in this culture, because we know it's survival. If, we, if we're not helpful to people, they won't be helpful to us, and we won't survive. He was going, you know, that's foolishness. That would never happen. But he tells the story, and so in a real sense, he said, okay, just for the sake of argument, let's say that really did happen. That's what he's saying. What should you do if the guy says, you know, I'm in bed, the door's locked, my family's in bed, don't bother me. What should you do? And then he tells this really strange thing. And sometimes when we read this, we get the total wrong impression about what it means in regard to our relationship with God, I think. So I, I want to make sure we clear this up this morning. Verse 8, but I'll tell you this, if the guy won't get up, if he's in bed... Though he won't do it for friendship's sake, if you keep knocking long enough, he will get up and give you whatever you need because of your shameless persistence. You know, basically he tells, he said, if this was to ever happen in this culture, which it will never happen. And the guy says, don't do it. He said, just hang out at the door and keep knocking. Every once, you know, just stand outside the door. It's all during the middle of the night. Every once in a while, just go back to the door. Knock on the door. The guy will look at his wife and say, honey, is he still out there? And just keep doing it and keep doing it. And eventually you'll wear him down and he'll come out and he'll do it. And he'll do it because, you know, even though it's inconvenient, he'll do it because it's the culturally right thing to do. Now, what is Jesus saying of what this means for you and me in regard to how our relationship with God? So we could take this the wrong way, right? We could take it that meant, well, if we nag God enough, he'll finally give in. You know, just keep nagging, keep praying, keep asking. You know, is that what it's saying? No, it's not what it's saying. Jesus is not saying that praying to God is like making a request, a request of a, a cranky neighbor. Uh, because this is really what it is. And this, in the context of this parable, it's really a contrast. It's a contrast between the person who consistently would, would go to a cranky neighbor and eventually get what they want and who God is and God's nature and who he is. Jesus is really saying something like this. He's saying, when you go to this neighbor, again, everything's against you. It's night, he's asleep, the doors are locked, the kids are tucked in, he may not even like you. But, still go to him, and if you keep going to him and going to him, he'll be responsive eventually, because that's just the way people are. He'll do it just to get rid of you, if nothing else, by being persistent If that's the case, then he's saying this. Jesus is saying, how much more should you persist with God who is never asleep but is always attentive to you? God isn't like the cranky neighbor who doesn't care. God is, is, is the God in heaven who desires more than anything to have you, to have you 
love him and to love and and he will do whatever it takes and he so he says in verse 9 uh, this is where he gives the command in this text he says i tell you keep on asking and you receive what you ask keep on seeking and you will find keep on knocking the door will be open to you for everyone who asks receives everyone who seeks finds and to everyone who knocks the door will be open if you're going to persist with people who are cranky how much more should you persist with a God who loves you? He's not like the cranky neighbor. He wants you to finally understand what his, his will is. Prayer is not, it's a, it's a two-way street as well. We're going to talk about that. And then he goes on and paints another picture here. This is really interesting. I didn't even put this in the original verse, but uh, the next three verses paint another picture. In verse 11 it says, You fathers, if your children ask for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? Or if they ask you for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. I don't know what that means, to tell you the truth. You know? But I mean, no, I would never do that. It's kind of a weird illustration. It obviously meant something in that culture. When we have more time, I would tell you what it means. But basically, he's saying, hey, you know, if you were a parent, if you're, if, even as, as you are, would you do that for your kids? Give them something they really didn't need? And then in verse 13, he says, so, and this is what we don't like about this passage, so if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? You see, we have to admit this. We're a fallen people. We're a people who often ask for things we really don't need. And we ask for things that we, and, and we do it in a way that's really selfish and sometimes. And like a father who won't give his kids the wrong things, that, you know, don't, if they ask for something, he won't give them something else, but he also won't give them the wrong things, the loving father we have, the heavenly father we have, is someone who wants to give you the right things. And he says you need to persist in prayer. Therefore, Jesus says, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking with confidence because you approach God not on the basis of, of your performance or your spiritual track record, but solely on the basis of the sheer goodness of the Father, who says, my house shall be called a house of prayer. Now this morning as we uh, finish up here in the next five minutes or so, I just want to share with you three things that I think is important to understand about prayer. Three types of prayer that God, He wants us to keep persisting in. And why we do that in, a, in the context of this, that God wants us to persist in prayer because He wants to give us the things that we really need. Number one is uh, Richard Foster, a great devotional writer, calls the first type of prayer simple prayer. Simple prayer. Simple prayer is just simply the prayers we pray about stuff, about our needs. The idea here is that you just pray about whatever is on your heart, the ordinary events of the day. Pray about your family, your work, about your frustrations, about your problems. You know, I, you know like I said, I, sometimes we have this strange idea that we have to pray. Everything has to be real spiritual when we pray. But you know, if you look in Scripture, how often most of the prayers in Scripture are simple prayers? Look in Jonah. You know, Jonah didn't pray almost the most spiritual prayers. When, when he went and did, finally did what God wanted him to do, you know what he prayed after, after God didn't wipe out the city that he, that he prayed about? You know what Jonah did? He was ticked. He basically got ticked at God. And you just read Jonah and you believe it. He got ticked at God and kind of yelled at God. You ever yelled at God? It's all right to yell at God. God's big enough. He can take it. 
But sometimes he says to pray the things of our heart. See, if we think it has to be spiritual, we won't pray the things of our heart. And, and we really, it'll block our prayer from God. I mean, sometimes I've asked God, I've looked at God, and I've yelled, and I've said, I don't understand that. It's true. It's, and what happens is it's all right to pray those prayers and to persistently pray those prayers. Because God wants us to grow and to learn and to have a relationship with him. Loving God requires us to have a relationship with him in such a way that we have a conversation with him, that we seek his heart. And one of the main ways we do that, and we know that, is through, is through prayer. See, ordinary prayer means you come to God as you are because when you pray, if you only pray the things that sound good and spiritual, but they're not genuinely, you're not really generally interested in, then what's going to happen? It will kill your prayer life. It's a simple prayer. We need to be just, just every day, just get with God and just pray what's on our heart. It doesn't have to be spiritual. The second kind of prayer, which I believe is a real important kind of prayer, and we very rarely talk about it, is what I call listening prayer. You know, good conversa- you know what good communication is? You know what a definition of good communication is? Most of you think it, you know, people, I ask that question when people come to me for premarital counseling. Oh, yeah, it means they're really talking and the people understand. No, it's called, the good definition of communication is this, listening with understanding. I said, you know, if you want to have a good marriage, learn to listen and keep this shut. A lot more than we keep these open. Keep these open. Keep this shut. Listening with understanding. And the thing is, is that so often in prayer, all we do is we talk, 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 talk to God. And we never listen. I want to tell you, when God, and I've never had God verbally speak to me, okay? I wish he would. I really wish he would. But I've had God, a, a sense that many times that God is speaking to me through his word, through prayer, and it's usually, almost not usually, it's always when I get quiet enough to listen. Most of the time around 4 a.m. in the morning. I mean, literally, I mean, this morning I was awake at 4 a.m. And I was laying there in bed, and I'm going like, Why can't, I, I, my clock's set for 5.30, why can't I just sleep till 5.30? And as I lay there, it happens all the time to me. And as I was laying there in the quietness of the morning, and I began to pray, I said, God, okay, what did you want me to, what did you want me to listen about this time? Like I was real disgruntled because God woke me up. I like God woke me up, you know. But I found that, that, that so often there's things on my mind that God has put in my mind. And as I'm reading scripture, things come to me. I, I've learned a, a discipline now. When, when I hear something and I begin to sense it, that God's speaking through it, I get up and I write it down. Because I'll forget it when I wake, really wake up and, you know, the next morning. But the issue is, is that you have to listen. That's why sometimes I, I've said, you know, we have to learn to, to carve out times in our day that's quiet times. We call it a quiet time, a place where we get quiet before God, that we listen to what God is saying. That we, yeah, we speak to God in simple prayer, but then we listen to God. Now, let me give you a couple of words of wisdom about listening prayer. When you think that God is speaking to you, two things you need to be careful about. Here's a couple of warnings, okay? Number one, if you think it's a prompting from God to do something, number one, it'll always be compatible with Scripture. Always. And number two, if you want to test it another way besides Scripture, along with Scripture, is to go to people that are godly people and ask them about it. Do you think this was a prompting from God? 
And then they go like, you are absolutely out of your mind. You probably, it's not a prompting from God. Because God wants us, and, and look at people that have people in your life that you can talk to about it. Test it with members of your small group or folks that, that, trust, that you trust spiritually and so on. But continually do that. God wants us to continually be in contact with him because he wants us to know him. He wants us to speak to him, to have that relationship, but also to listen. But thirdly, a third type of, of prayer that we need to have on our, our minds. And I talked about this the very first day of this year. In your bulletin is the thing that says, top 10 in 2010. Y'all remember that? We started the year off that way. I said, those of you here were here the first week or two, and I said, what I want you to do this year is this. I ask you to do something. I ask you to write down people that you know that need to take their next step with God, whether it be accepting Christ Jesus as our Lord and Savior, whether it be becoming part of a church, whether it be, uh, uh, you know, whatever their need may be. They're disconnected from God in some way. So I ask you to do that. Now, do not raise your hand on this one, okay? How many of you have done a great job of praying for those people ever? Can't raise my hand. What does it say? Seek and you will find. Knock, the door will be opened. One of the things we need to do is pray for people. Let me tell you, one of the things, the reason that book, I just told you about the book, same kind of different as me, meant so much to me, is because it convicted me of my sin. God used a book to convict me of my weakness, of my, of my inconsistency, of really, 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 really caring for people so much that nothing blocks that prayer time with God, that connection with God, and loving people the way that God wants me to love them. I challenge you, if you want to love what, know what it means, a great illustration of love, unconditional love for another person, read the book. You're going to like, you're going to kick back from this? No way. I just want you to be challenged as I'm challenged. I'm going to read a book again. But the thing is, is that God uses, is using that as an illustration. It's a story. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a testimony of God's grace, but through people that you would never expect. So I challenge you. I, this is not a guilt trip, okay? If you didn't do very well with the top ten so far, start over. I gave you a new sheet. It was in your bulletin. Write down the names of some people who were disconnected from God. Maybe there are people who were sitting next to you. I shared last week, you know, who's in those chairs? If you were here last week, I said, who's in the chairs that were sitting here with like one of these chairs? The people that are, you know, that were here at one time, but they're not going anywhere. Or maybe your neighbors or friends or other people that, that, that need to know, coworkers, who is it that needs to be connected with God in some way? I want to close with a story. I think I told the story a few years ago, but I, th I thought I'd use it again because it's a great story of what happens when we begin to pray and, and God begins to work in our lives. It's a story Tony Campola told in one of his books. Tony Campola is a teacher, professor at Eastern College uh, in Pennsylvania. And he tells this story about one time he was invited to speak at a chapel service. And just before he spoke, he says that the school he was going to speak at was a, a, was a Pentecostal school that was just down the street. And he said he asked to speak there. He loved speaking there because the people always had, they were very, you know, vivacious, unlike his school. And um, 
He said, just before he spoke, he said, eight guys took me to a back room, got me down on my knees, and they laid hands on my head and prayed for me. And he said, that was good. I need all the prayer I can get. The only problem was these guys prayed a long time. Now, it's usually okay, but the longer they prayed, the more tired they got. The more tired they got, the more they leaned on my head. And I want to tell you that when eight guys are leaning on your head, it doesn't feel good. One guy, he says, wasn't even praying for me. He said he was praying for somebody. His name was Charlie Stoltfuss. And he kept saying, dear Lord, and he shouted this out, dear Lord, you know Charlie Stoltfuss, he lives in that silver trailer down the road about a mile, you know the trailer, Lord, just the road, down the road, on the right-hand side, and, 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 and Tony Campola says, he says, you know, he wanted to say to the guy, he says, don't you know that God knows where he lives? But the guy kept going on and on, and he said, Lord, Charlie told me this morning he's decided to leave his family, his wife, and his three kids, and he's going to walk on in his family. Lord, step in, do something, bring that family together again. And Tony Campola said while he was kneeling there, there's eight guys leaning on his head, and he's, he's asking himself, you know, when's this guy going to knock it off? He said, I really felt very spiritual by that time. But he kept going on and on about Charlie Stoltfuss, leaving his wife and his kids, the constant reminder. And he's living in a silver trailer a mile down the road on the right-hand side. He said, finally, the prayers were over, Tony Campola says. He went out, he spoke at the chapel service. He got in his car, he drove down the Pennsylvania Turnpike, headed for home. And as he drove down the Turnpike, he noted a hitchhiker, noticed a hitchhiker. And he said, now, you know what, you're not supposed to pick them up, but I'm a preacher. And whenever you can get somebody locked in a captive audience, I do so. So he stopped and he picked him up and he drove a few minutes and he said, Hi, my name's Tony Campola. What's your name? The guy said, My name is Charlie Stoltfuss. He said, Tony Campola said, I couldn't believe it. I got off the turnpike at the next exit, headed back, and the guy started getting a little uneasy. And after a few minutes, he said, Hey, mister, where are you taking me? And Tony Campola said, I'm taking you home. And he said, The guy's eyes narrowed and he asked, He said, and he said he dared his eyes, and Tony Campola looked at him. He says, I'm taking you home because you just left your wife and your three children, right? <laughs> and he said, I blew him away. Yeah, you're right. His shock was written all over his face. And, and Tony Campola says, I drove off the turnpike at the next exit. Then I really did him in as he drove right up to his silver trailer. He pulled up. The guy's eyes seemed to bulge as he asked, how did you know that I lived here? And he, and he asked that question, and he said, and Tony Campola with a straight face said, God told me. And he said, I really believe God did tell me, just in a strange way. And the guy was half shaking his head, and he said, right, mister, sure, I'm going. And when he got opened the trailer door, his wife exclaimed, he could hear, hear her say, you're back, you're back. And the guy began to whisper in her ear, and, and the more he talked, the bigger his eyes, her eyes got. And then he said, Tony Campola said, I took the next step. I got out of the car, walked up to the trailer, then I said with real authority, the two of you sit down. I'm going to talk to you, and, and you're going to listen. And he said, man, did they listen. They thought I was E.F. Hutton. <laughs> he writes that that afternoon, those two people gave their, their life to Jesus Christ. And that man today is a preacher in Southern California. Now, not all stories end like that. Maybe not quite as dramatic. But I can tell you many, many, many stories I know of how we begin to pray for people about how God works in their lives. How he Sometimes it takes years. Sometimes it takes decades. But God says, keep on knocking. Keep on seeking. 
keep on asking. Because unlike the cranky neighbor, God desires the true desires of our hearts. And he wants to answer our prayers in a way that would honor him and help us to grow. Today, when you drive home, I, I ask you to pray. When you go to bed tonight, pray. Now, when you pray driving home, keep your eyes open, by the way. When you get ready for bed, pray. When you wake up, pray. As you go through the day, pray. Pray for the ordinary concerns of your life. And then block off a time to sit and listen to God. And then pray for other people who need to take their next step with God, whatever that may be. Because when people do that, when people, when people begin to do that and connect with God and His power, God changes things in the world. One of the things I want to share with you as I close is this, is that we begin, not only do we believe that this is something we should do, we're beginning to do it already. The last two weeks something has happened, and it was a very small beginnings, but it's something that's important. I'd ask our leadership team a couple of weeks ago, I said, you know, I really feel this desire for us to be more of a church of prayer. Can we find some time to pray together? So the last two Sunday mornings at 8 o'clock, one of the persons on our leadership team has met me and whoever else wants to meet over here in this room over here for prayer. Anybody like to come is welcome to come. And what do we pray for? We pray for this service. We pray for everybody that's going to be here. We pray for any needs that we know of. We pray for the musicians, the children's workers, the people that's greeters. We pray for the service. We pray for, the, we pray for every component of what's going on. Because we believe it's important. The most important thing that happens on Sunday mornings is not what happens in this big room. It's what happens in that little room right over there when we pray. And I'll tell you, our band is taking it seriously, too, our, our musicians. Instead of sitting around talking about what we're going to do for the service, you know what they're doing now when they first get together? They, they pray. And I know for a while, I don't know, I guess it's still going, but on Thursday nights, we've had a little prayer group that meet, meets here over in the room here on Thursday nights. We'll, I'll check that out and make sure that that's true. If you'd like to be a part of that, we're going to be part, we're going to have different aspects of prayer. And, and something else we want to do in the life of the church too is that starting in a couple of weeks, we're going to have available over after every service, we're going to have a, a place over in the prayer room with people who will be willing to sit down and pray with you about whatever needs that God may have in your heart. Because we understand that prayer needs to be something vital in the life of this church. Because it's our connection with God. So I'd ask you this morning, will you make a commitment with me to become people of prayer? I'm not asking you to do something you can't do. Because prayer is just talking to God. You don't have to have any special language. You don't have to have any training. You don't even have to have any education. You know, the, and I'll tell you, the hero of the book that I read is not the white guy that's, that's, that's trained. It's the homeless guy. The homeless guy with no education. The guy that's in touch with God because he spends time with God. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to Great Oaks Community Church's weekly podcast. For more series and podcast information, go to greatoakscc.org.